broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's time for Chattanooga Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Good morning and welcome to Business Radio X right here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm your host, Victor Agreta, and I am here with Amanda Jelks. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. So, Amanda, tell us a little bit about your background as an attorney. Um, well, I've been practicing law for six years now. I uh, went to law school at the University of Memphis. It was a fabulous experience. And uh, afterwards, I decided to come back home to Chattanooga. Uh, minus the three years I spent in Memphis, this is home for me. And uh, my entire family's here. And uh, so I came on back home and I spent my first five years of practicing law with one of the largest regional firms in our area. Um, I've handled primarily business matters. And uh, about a year ago, I decided to branch off and join the wonderful startup community myself and start my own law firm. Well, we have a great startup community here in Chattanooga, right? We and do. Uh, so did you make that drive to Memphis a lot? Or, you know, just, just as it's, it's a long drive, right? It is. It's like five and a half hours. It's, it's a pretty long haul. Yeah, it is. So why did you start your own law firm then? Um, well, one, I've spent my entire six years working with entrepreneurs and you kind of get the bug whenever you're around them. I mean, there's something addictive, something that's very attractive about the entrepreneur lifestyle. Now, don't get me wrong. It's hard and it's not all uh, peachy all the time. Um, but there's just, I, I got the bug and suddenly I wanted a piece. I wanted to be a part of it more so than I was, you know, working in corporate America. Um, and so that's the primary reason I started my firm. Um, I also wanted some of the benefits that entrepreneurship offers. Um, you have additional freedom. There's additional flexibility. There's uh, nothing quite like being the boss and calling the shots. Um, and so, so that's it. But, you know, there, there is that security, right? When you're with a firm, it's sort of, there are other people who are taking care of things that you have to take care of as an entrepreneur. Talk a little bit more about that. I'm, I'm curious about what are some of the biggest challenges that you found sort of going into this? You know, you're like, oh man, I didn't think about the fact that I'd have, now I've got to take care of this, right? Yeah. Well, before I started my own firm, I made sure that I talked to other people that had done it. You know, I, I took lots and lots of people out to lunch and I asked them all the same set of questions, but the most prevalent question being, what did you not do to prepare for starting your own law firm that you wish you would have done? And so then I made sure that I did that. Um, and I connected with the incubator program um, so that I could take additional classes in areas that I may not have known as much about, such as accountants and bookkeeping and, and those sorts of things. Um, so I made sure that I had the resources behind me. But even though I did all of that, there's still been some shocks here. Because as an entrepreneur, I, I think one mistake that a lot of people make is that they think, I'm going to start my own business and I'm going to have more time on my hands. Well, big surprise, you're going to have even less time on your hands. Because now, not only do I practice law 40, 50 plus hours a week, but I also run a business. And those two things are completely separate. You know, I have to take care of the finance aspect of that, the operations aspect of that, the paying the bills and all of that. So I've learned that either I can do practicing law and those other things, or I can farm them out to other people to do. And I, I think that for a lot of people who, you know, practice law, the folks who have this sort of professional track already, and you could be with a larger company, when you start your own company, the biggest thing that I, I find that people forget is that you have to pay yourself because you yeah. are running this business. So it's yeah. like you have your business, 
but then your business is a business mm -hmm. as well. So it's like you do have those two separate tracks, and that's that's important for people to understand. Um, I'm curious about, you know, you mentioned the incubator, and I think that's again something that people need to think about when they're in a town. If there is an incubator, if there's a program, talk a little bit about your experience there because I think that's extremely valuable that people understand what those are and why those are important to entrepreneurs. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, the whole time I've been practicing law six years, I've known about the incubator program. I had no idea how massive it is. Like the one here, I think we're the largest in the state. Um, and when I finally walked in the doors, there's 70 plus businesses at any given time in that program. I had no idea. I had no idea it was that large. Um, but it's the environment over there is just amazing to because um, we all hear these statistics and depending upon who you ask, they change. But, you know, within the first couple of years, 50 percent or 80 percent of businesses close up shop. They don't make it. Uh, the majority, you know, regardless of what the numbers are, we know the majority of new businesses don't survive past the three to five year mark. But at the incubator, they've got something like a 95 percent success rate. And that's amazing. You know, whether you're in your first year practice to walk down the hall and see people that are in their second and third year of business to see people that are defying those odds. Like it's just, it's, it's a really nice environment, very motivational. And I think that's, that's key too, right? Is that community and, and that aspect of knowing that your problems are shared by other people. And those folks may have figured out a way to solve some of these problems that yes. if you did it yourself, you'd be reinventing the wheel, right? Yes. And everyone over there has a very open door policy. If you have a question, most of the time the door is open, just walk right on in and ask because they've been in your shoes or you may be in their shoes or, or what have you. Uh, and so I, I love it over there. That's that's wonderful. And, and the key there is that people are sharing information because they understand that the more you share information, the more you help each other out, it helps everybody out, right? That, that's right. And even more so on that, like when you become an entrepreneur or you enter the small business world, like everyone that's already there is so intentional about keeping our dollars in the small business world. And so people over there are intentionally doing business with one another. And that's not something that I went over there expecting, but I'm in there. There's, I think present count, maybe 77 businesses. And people are, in, if they need a lawyer or they need a contract review, they're very intentional about knocking on my door. And that's kind of icing on the cake. That's really excellent. Okay. So back to your law firm, what is your primary practice area? Um, I primarily deal with business law. I help companies decide, one, whether they need to incorporate and if, the, if that's a good decision for them, and it's not always, people just assume that it is, but if it is a good decision for them, then I help them decide what corporate form makes sense for their business. Um, I also obviously draft contracts. I help clients negotiate contracts, um, and I uh, help clients with succession plans, which I find that many businesses overlook. You know, what happens to my business when I want to, when I don't want to do it anymore? That's and that's a really good point because a lot of people, particularly when they start a business, you know, they may think, well, maybe my kids will take over the business or, you know, maybe my partner will take over the business, but things happen. And if you are lucky enough to have a business that succeeds 10, 20 years down the road, you know, your goals may have changed. You may want to leave that. And then maybe the kids or maybe the partner, they don't want to take that over. So you have to think about, do you want to close this thing or do you want this to continue on? And, and, how often do you find that people sort of, you know, I know that running a business should sort of shoot from the hip sometimes, right? So you don't think maybe 10, 20 years in the future. I mean, you're look, you're focusing on that five-year plan, right? That's right. But 10, 20 years seems like forever, and you just can't envision where you might be. 
How often do you find that that comes up? All the time. I mean, people, when they fir- especially when they first start a business, there's kind of this assumption that I'll always do this when you may not always want to do it or you may not always be here to do it. And uh, even people that have been in business, you know, five, 10 years, they're thinking, oh, well, I have forever to deal with that. I don't need to address that right now because as entrepreneurs, we tend to look at our fires. You know, what's what do I need to pay immediate attention to this minute and overlook the long term plan? And I recently read an article in Forbes magazine that said that uh, two thirds of business, of family owned businesses never make it to the second generation because they don't plan properly. Now, that makes sense. Well, if is could you give sort of a, the BuzzFeed like these three things are the things you need to think about if you are planning to incorporate? Because I, I find that curious. You know, I think a lot of folks w- are into the impression, well, if I'm going to do a business, I have to incorporate somehow. Uh, what is it that people can ask themselves right off the bat to say, am I ready? Because there might be a phase in which they are, you know, they're looking at it but they aren't yet ready to kind of make that jump. Is, is there sort of a determination, whether it's you know federally mandated or fiscally mandated or just something that they should protect themselves with? So I think that incorporating is a good idea based upon the specifics of your business. Now, my business is not incorporated because it does not make sense for me because of the nature of malpractice laws for attorneys. One reason that we incorporate is to protect the business from liability, from your personal liability, but to protect you from the business's liability. As an attorney, I can't escape malpractice. If I were to do something wrong, I will forever be personally liable for it. And it does no corporate form will protect me from that. And so it does not make sense for me right now. Now, if I were to partner with another attorney, whenever you're looking at a partnership, more than one person running the business, I think it's most likely ideal because now you never know what your partner has going on that could affect your business. So for instance, if your partner's car insurance lapses, you know, maybe things were so crazy at the business and they didn't pay their car insurance, then they get into a wreck and they injure someone. And let's say they're looking at a hundred thousand dollar medical claim. Well, if your business is not incorporated, your business is looking at a hundred thousand dollar hit too. And so you've got to look at, you know, what are what are our potential liabilities? Uh, we look also should look at, you know, unforeseeable events. You know, people don't want to talk about these things, but if you're married and there's a chance that divorce could be in the pipeline for you, well, if your business is not incorporated, the money that your business makes is the money that you make, and your spouse could walk away with half of it. Um, so it's it's about protecting against things that we hope never come into fruition, but they very well could. Likewise, if your business goes under, maybe you have a big contract with someone and that person doesn't perform and now you've got all these subcontractors or employees that you have to pay. Well, if your business is a corporation, you just close up shop and those people are just out of luck, unfortunately for them, but they are. But if you're not incorporated, now, personally, you're liable and they can file liens on your houses and, you know, and those sorts of things. So it's really just a liability assessment. Well, I can say that uh, from personal experience, I, I love the phrase plan, uh, fail to plan, plan to fail. Yes. And a lot of people say that that's about business plans. It's about all aspects and especially those legal aspects and thinking about your liabilities and mitigating that risk right over time. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so how, sh- how soon should someone see an attorney after you know they've started a business? Um, I think that it's 
one of the first people that you should see. And I know, unfortunately, a lot of people steer away from that because they're they're afraid of the expenses that come along with an attorney. But, you know, I've always heard and I believe it to be true that there are three people that pretty much pay for themselves. That's your accountant, that's your attorney and your insurance person. And if you overlook any of those three people, then you could really be setting yourself up for failure. So if you're going into business, you are more than likely either you're hiring employees or you have vendors or suppliers or subcontractors that you're working for. You have to get your contracts in order and pulling something off the Internet or drafting something yourself is almost sure to lead to disaster. And so it's, it's way better to have an attorney draft those documents for you um, and be proactive about potential issues later on than ignore them altogether. And of course, we have the whole uh, corporate form analysis that we just went through. And a lot of people probably think they're saving money up front, but that could actually cost them a lot if Absolutely. something should happen, right? Absolutely. And the biggest thing that I see, especially with people that draft their own contracts, is let's say you have a $5,000 contract, someone's supposed to pay you. You do the work and then they don't, they don't pay you. Well, now, of course, you want to sue them because especially depending upon how new your business is, $5,000 is a big deal. Um, And then there's the whole principle. Even if it's not a big deal to you, you did the work and you deserve to be paid. So you go see a lawyer and you want to sue them. Well, what do you hear most of the time from a good lawyer? If you come see me over a $5,000 dispute, I'm going to tell you that it doesn't make sense for you to hire a lawyer because you're easily going to pay a lawyer half or all of that just to collect the debt. So- What would have happened had you seen a lawyer on the front end? They would have drafted a contract for you for significantly less than five thousand, significantly less than five thousand dollars, and they would have put a provision, one sentence in there that says, "If if something goes wrong in this contract and you don't perform and I have to sue you, you're going to pay my attorney's fees." That one sentence would have changed that entire situation, but because someone drafted a contract themselves or they got it off the internet, it's not in there, and now they're out of luck with this $5,000. Wow, that's definitely something I hope business business people listen to and take to heart. So what are some other common legal mistakes that you see business owners make? Um, well, besides the not having an attorney draft the contract, I also see the issues with the uh, not incorporating their businesses or not incorporating them properly. You know, A lot of people say, oh, I'm gonna be an LLC. Let's do that, that's easy. I can do it myself. Or they say, I'm going to go form an entire, you know, an S corp or something like that. And while you have very similar personal protections in all of those, maybe you're paying unnecessary expenses to the state. Maybe that wasn't the right for, maybe that wasn't the right choice for you. Um, And so I I see people picking the wrong corporate form that just jump in there. Um, And I also see, um, Issues with contracts between partners. You know, you have your corporate form, but you also need a shareholder agreement or a member agreement, depending on if you're a corporation or an LLC. Um, and most recently, I've got a client who there's it's a three member partnership and their their uh, membership agreement is something they just pulled off the Internet themselves. And so now we've got one member that they're wanting to terminate uh, one member who um has been in a lawsuit for two years that they did not even know about until recently under their business name. And um, their membership agreement doesn't address what happens when a member obligates their business in such a manner. So for instance, this member did something wrong. He committed malpractice under his professional standards. And, but the 
the other party is suing the whole corporation. Their membership agreement should say, if if I met, if you messed up, if you individually messed up and we get sued, then you need to pay us back for whatever we end up paying. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. And so they are just out of luck. Again, having an attorney, whether you draft it and you just want the attorney to look over it, that could have saved them so much time. And so I mean, we're looking at, I think it's a $2.5 million claim. We're looking at a lot of money. And people think that those details don't matter, but really when it comes to the law, those details are everything. Really. They are everything. That I mean, we're talking one to two sentences, like they are everything. And some attorneys will turn that into, you know, a whole page, but we're really talking about one to two sentences could change everything. I'm just curious in terms of partnerships, you know, you've probably seen single person, two person, three or more. Do you feel like there's any specific advantage to having more than two partners in a company? I mean, just in general, it seems like if not spreading out risk, it's more about just the brain trust, right? You know, having different people, but then also if one person has to bow out, then you still have a core group, right? Yeah. It just depends on what everyone's strong skill set is. If if two people can cover all the basis of the business, you know, whether it's the operations, the finance, and the marketing, um, which are the three big ones, if those two people can cover all of those, then that's all you need. Um, maybe you need some additional capital and there's a third person that can bring the, the money aspect, the investment financial investment to the to the table. Uh, and so it just it just depends on the specific facts of the situation. But one mistake I see commonly, and I think we probably all see it, is people wanting to go into business with their friends or with their family. And that's just not a good idea. I mean, people really have to learn how to separate personal life from business. And in a business, it is always just business. And it doesn't matter how much I like you or you love them or whatever. It's it's business. And so you really have to find business-minded people. Uh, that is key. And I think a lot of people make that mistake, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I am also reminded of a story. You know, Apple was actually founded by three people originally. And so this goes both ways in that you may have someone who brings liability, but then you may have someone who once they leave, they get nothing. Their contract stipulates that they have no further interest in the company. So sure, they're not sharing the risk, but they're also not going to share the reward. So mm -hmm. you think about this guy who, uh, Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs, and then this other fellow, he bowed out before they even went public. He designed their original logo, which you'll never see anywhere because mm -hmm. it was like a hand etched, very detailed drawing thing. But you know, to this day, he's not shared in any of the profits of, of Apple because he said, you know what, this is too much for me. I'm going to go back to my nine to five job and not do this crazy entrepreneur yeah. thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, that brings up a, a somewhat related point in that a lot of times people don't understand the difference between the business and them personally. So for instance, let's say you have a business and then you have a CEO. If I'm the lawyer for the business, I am not the lawyer for the CEO. Those are, you know, the business in America is a person in and of mm -hmm. itself. And so when you're negotiating agreements or membership agreements, shareholder agreements, whatever it may be, if you have a personal interest in that agreement, you know, what am I going to get if I walk away or if we dissolve and so forth? You really need two separate lawyers. The CEO needs his own lawyer to be looking after his interest. And then the business has its lawyer, which is looking after its business um, after the business. Now, if we're talking about a sole proprietorship where you are the business, well, that's the same thing. You just need one lawyer there. But in larger settings, you really need to. But that's a great, uh, I think, point for people to distinguish between because you do need someone who's looking out for your side of the equation. Mm -hmm. 
but that company lawyer is there to look at the business. And that again goes to the point of you have to keep these things separated, That's you know, right. the personal and the professional. So what should business owners look for in an attorney before they hire them? Um, well, it's important that you look for someone that is experienced and that focuses on your particular industry, because of course we have lots of industries. We have the construction industry, we have the fashion industry, we have the tech industry and so forth. And all of those have different languages. They speak different languages and different things matter. There may be something in the tech industry that matters majorly to them that does not matter to the finance, or I'm sorry, to the, well, to the finance industry or the fashion industry. It's just, it's different. And so look for someone that either has a particular experience in your area or is willing to learn. Now, of course, when an attorney is learning your industry, that's not something that you should be charged for. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's that willingness to learn. Uh, you also want to look for someone that has the availability. I think attorneys have a bad rep for taking, you know, everything that comes in the door and um, they overload themselves. And so you may have an issue that you need resolved, but it ends up taking a month. So you want to look for someone that truly has the availability to help you. And um, I think in today's world, special specialization is key. Um, that, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with general practitioners, you know, an attorney that does divorces and they do wills and they do, you know, bankruptcy and they do business law. I mean, you just, you really want someone that's focused in the business industry. And I think somebody who has specific set of knowledge in that industry, like that's extremely valuable, particularly if your business is perhaps disruptive, right? Because yes. if you're innovating, you may be getting into areas that are uncharted. And so you need someone who really has that deep knowledge to distinguish between, okay, this is a risk or this is not, you know, this mm -hmm. is a good way to go or watch out. There are legal barriers, perhaps, you know, regulatory issues, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, so given that and given your expertise, what sets you apart? Um, well, I take the time to learn not only my client as a person, but to learn their business, because I think that it's important that I understand whatever products they're making or whatever services that they are providing. Uh, because as a business attorney, I'm not also I'm sorry, I'm not limited to giving legal advice, but I also help with internal business issues. So for instance, I see lots of clients that are doing contracts with bigger companies and they're like, oh, I got a Walmart contract. I'm so excited. Let me just sign on the dotted line and go on. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You don't really want to accept, you know, 40% profit. You're doing all the work. Let's bump that up to 60. Let's just see what happens. Uh, and so I give a lot of business advice. And so I, I think that it's important that I spend time at their businesses. I go to a lot of my clients' businesses and I interact with their, uh, with their staff and so forth to really get to know them. Um, aside from that, I understand entrepreneurship because I am an entrepreneur. And so I think that that gives me a very unique perspective I know what's important to entrepreneurs. I know how valuable their time is. I mean, the whole saying time is money has never been more obvious to me. Um, I know that, you know, they may not want to know all the legal jargon and, you know, the ins and outs of what I do. They just want they just want it done. Like, do it, do it quickly, get it back to me. If you see me getting ready to mess up, throw a red flag um, and so forth. And so I'm right there with them in that crazy small business ownership world. Um, and and this will probably sound cliche, but I'm not afraid of hard work. You know, I have a lot of clients or bigger companies that come to me and say, oh, well, Amanda, 
you know, can you really, you know, can you do this? Is this going to be too much for you? Well, uh, no, it's not because I have real world experiences. And I know everyone probably says, well, I'm not afraid of hard work. Um, but like so many of our of business owners, you know, I really did pull myself up from nothing to something. And I'm still on that, uh, still on that journey, you know, just personally in life and so forth. And so there's many other things that I've done in life that were 25 times harder than what I do now. Um, most certainly I can draft a contract. Excellent. Well, and I think also it's important for people to understand that if, if you're an entrepreneur, it serves you well to work with someone who is an entrepreneur and someone who's been through that experience. I mean, you've been through incubator. You, you have looked at this from many different areas. You have that hard fought experience of building something up from nothing. So for people who are looking to do that, you seem like an excellent match for their needs. Yeah. And I've, I've worked with, you know, one man shows, you know, an entire company that is just one man and he's doing absolutely everything. He's doing his books. He's making the product. He's doing everything all the way to international manufacturing companies. And so I have a breadth of experience when it comes to business ownership. That's excellent. Well, Amanda Jelks is our guest. And uh, Amanda, where, they, where can people find you online? Um, I am all over the internet, as any entrepreneur should be. You can find my website, of course, is Jelks Law. That's J-E-L-K-S-L-A-W.com. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Jelks Law. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram under at Amanda N like Nancy Jelks. Excellent. Thank you for being our guest, and I uh, hope we'll have you on again very, very soon. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Business Radio X here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm your host, Victor Greta. Tune in next time.